The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter action figure collectors. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 10, Geek Story, and we'll be talking with our guest John Fraser, lifelong geek, computer programmer, and a gadget wrangler at the fan-favorite website, Think Geek. Now let's bring him on. John Fraser. Fraser. Yes, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. In your, <laughs> is this your kitchen? This is our uh, living room, actually. Very good. But well, I like behind us is our dining room. But there's stuff everywhere. But I like to call it our palatial recording studio when we're doing the show. Ah, uh, well, the illusion is kept. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I like finding out when we have a guest on the show is when did you become a geek and what turned you it's kind of like when you're talking to a vampire or a zombie it's like who turned you i can name uh two specific instances when i became a geek number one first and foremost my father was a huge star trek fan so we would sit in my living room when i was about the age of four i think four or five mm -hmm. when i first remember kind of getting sucked in to watching star trek and I think it was uh, as tomorrow was yesterday was the episode that I remember uh, very clearly, and uh, that and the fact that he was he was a a really huge but closeted Star Trek fan, so he found a copy of that original um, vinyl covered Starfleet technical manual, yep. which I which I just devoured, yeah. um, and unfortunately, so did the family dog. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to put it away, and I didn't. And my my our new puppy chewed the corner of it and uh, and destroyed the binding. So um, I was sad. It was a first edition. I've since replaced it. I went on eBay and I found a couple. I found one copy, bought it for my father, and presented it to him as a gift, and he was very very thankful. And then a coworker of mine thought that was sweet, and he had one in his house, so he gave me his. It was oh, so nice. Now I have my own Starfleet Technical Manual first edition. Uh, the second. There was a very, very hot summer uh, one year. I think it was 1975, 1976. And going outside was just impossible. There was no playing outside. It was too hot. So I stayed inside and bored out of my skull. I would just sort of pull books off the shelves and just start reading them. And the books that I was drawn to were my father's college science textbooks. So... Um, a uh, geology textbook, a chemistry textbook, physics textbooks. And I didn't know what I was reading, but I read them anyway. And just <laughs> That is and, such a profoundly geeky story. I love it. Yeah, Sitting and, and inside, reading textbooks. The availability of, <laughs> of the textbooks and uh, meteorology being in my favor, at least for a, a, a growing mind, turned me into a nerd, I suppose. So there you were, reading textbooks, watching Star Trek. Did you start embracing the sort of uh, wider geek culture then? Uh, were there, did you go to conventions when you were younger or any of that sort of thing? Did you have friends that were geeks? No, sadly I didn't. I lived in a fairly urban area 
Um, so I was, I was fairly closeted well into my teens. There weren't a lot of people that I could really reach out to. I didn't go to conventions. My dad did not go to conventions. So my own geekiness was uh, just my own private time. I would read a lot of the James Blish Star Trek books on my own. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my, own expo- my only exposure. And when I discovered um, that they were rerunning Doctor Who episodes, Tom Baker Doctor Who episodes on PBS, mm-hmm. it blew my mind. I, <laughs> I thought, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I love it. I don't get it, but I love it. <laughs> Um, so there wasn't a lot of sci-fi. There was Battlestar Galactica on TV. Star Wars had just come out uh, in 76, 77. The availability of good sci-fi and good nerd food was very, very thin. But I, I, I devoured everything I could get my hands on. There just wasn't a lot of availability for me at the time. I grew up out in the country, and so my main diet came from original series when it was being syndicated, and then just buying as many books as I could and then devouring the afternoon movies there was so I would get home from school and they would often play Harryhausen films stuff like that and so so I watched a lot of classic 50s and 60s sci-fi on my grandma's black and white television I was one of those people that for years I didn't realize that Star Trek was in color because because <laughs> the only time I saw it was at my grandma's and she still had a black and white TV in the 70s in northern minnesota there were no conventions i had some friends that were geeky but none of them were as geeky as i was so it's always great then as you get older and when you have that first moment where you realize that there is this wider world of people that share your same interests and you start to connect with them it's great and then it's so much easier for kids now because you can connect over the internet. Yeah, that's true. There's a there's a very very wide audience out there, and you can always feel welcomed. As a teenager, uh, I I did not have that experience. I did not feel very welcomed. There was um, I was one summer where I discovered Dungeons and Dragons, and it was all I was interested in at the time. I would mm-hmm. I would talk to anybody, even those who wouldn't listen about Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> to the point where finally one of my relatives, God bless her, she said she said Johnny. Not everybody wants to hear about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and I was, I was devastated. And, and I tell you, that moment directed my life for about five or six years. I was well into my late teens before I would acknowledge any um, enjoyment of science fiction. I, I had shunned it because I figured I, I am being ostracized because of the choices I have made. Uh, and it was so, you know, so sad. Yeah. Because nowadays, uh, you know, if I had lived in, an, in the era where... Um, I could have connected with a lot of people over the internet. I would have just, I would have recloseted. I would have just found found my my tribe online. Yeah, uh, because the people I was clearly mixing with were not interested in what I was interested in. Uh, I feel I feel bad about that because I've missed out on a lot of really cool sci-fi uh, that happened in the uh, in the mid '80s, and mm-hmm. well, frankly, some really bad sci-fi that happened in the mid '80s. I really feel jealous of this generation of Ella, your generation, uh, because of the availability and, and the connections you can create now. You mentioned reading the Blish books. And, and those, of course, were, except for Spock Must Die, those were all adaptations of the show. Did you read the original Star Trek fiction as well? Yes. Well, it was mostly whatever my father had lying around because he was the one who bought them. And I would never know he had them until I saw them uh, with the spines all, all bent uh, on the shelves, 
I go, oh, when did you get this? Oh, I got this years ago. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for telling me about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I read, I read every one I could get my hands on. Even the, the first, uh, the first uh, pocket next generation books, I, I ghost ship. Still mm-hmm. remember the very first one, Ghost Ship. That, that was terrible. It was not very good. Um, but uh, yeah, well, those first ones, you could tell that the writers really hadn't had much time to familiarize themselves with the characters. Yeah, they'd only read the, the series Bible, and there wasn't yeah. a lot of detail, and they had to fill in a lot of blanks. I remember Data having emotion in some of the early books. Oh heck! Even Peter David's books had some took some really interesting license with Pete with the <laughs> with Data's character. But anyway, talking about the uh, evolution of a of a young geek, um, I remember how I got into computers. It was the year my dad brought home a computer uh, from work. He worked for Xerox and he got the employee discount. So we bought this massive wow. CPM based uh, Xerox eight twenty with uh, eight inch disk drives, no hard drive. Yeah, black and white text screen, no graphics at all. Yeah, giant daisy wheel printer, like the size of your living room couch. <laughs> it was just massive. And um, I, I go up, I go upstairs, and I look in the room where uh, the kids' playroom was, and the kids' playroom was completely rearranged, a desk installed, computers on the desk. It was off. My dad wasn't home. We were latchkey kids, and there was a sign on the computer that said, "Johnny, don't touch this." <laughs> So naturally, first thing yeah. I did was rip that sign off and turn that sucker on. <laughs> uh, and I knew more about it by the end of the day than my dad did, yeah. than my dad ever did, really. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that got me into computers instantly. Cool. And at that point, I was, uh, I was just devouring anything I could find. I was, do you remember, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when they used to sell these magazines, these big, thick newsprint magazines that had computer games printed out line by line. You had to type them in. Oh, yeah. Those huge computer games. You couldn't just download them off the internet or even off of modem uh, bulletin board systems. You yeah. had to type them in yourselves. God, that's giving me nightmares just thinking about it. I used, then... to write, I used to write computer programs in my notebook. Uh, I'd written a Dungeons & Dragons character generator uh, mm-hmm. by handwriting the program in my notebook. And I gave it to my mother, who was a, uh, a secretary who could type like 180 words a minute <laughs> to jam that sucker in. But that double-sided, double-density, eight-inch floppy, I could cram almost a megabyte onto <laughs> that thing. I took a computer class in high school. This was in like 1981 or 1982. So this, of course, predates the Mac it was on Apple, but it was before the Macintosh. It was like an Apple IIe or something. And so we were writing programs in BASIC. And I think we had, at that point, we had had the huge technological advancement to the 5-inch floppies from the 8-inch floppies. Fancy. <laughs> and uh, I, I wrote a program that was a basically a a dice rolling program. I was trying to put in all the uh, information from the fabulous Steve Jackson game, Car Wars. Oh, yes. So that instead of having to roll, you know, you would just kind of click through like your weapon and your modify, you know, you would kind of make the choices and it would spit out the numbers. And it was really fun, but it was fun working on the program, but I never got to use it because I didn't have a computer at home 
<laughs> to run the program. Should we get to the, uh, the some of the questions that you're going crazy about? <laughs> Let's talk about being a gadget wrangler a little bit. <laughs> because that is your uh, fabulous title at the Think Geek that the kids love. <laughs> kids today, and they're Think Geek. And I like to make the joke that when it comes around the holiday season, that it would be easier for the kid to make a list of what she doesn't want from Think Geek. It's funny because it's true. Than the list of what she does want. It's, you know, she could just write down like the half dozen things that she doesn't want and then everything else could be fair game. Well, I'm curious. What is on your wish list right now? I think, oh, there's a, I think there's like a thousand items on your wish list. There's about $5,000 worth of items on my Think Geek wish list. Um, mostly because I just spend time looking at all of this stuff, even though I've seen it all before, because I just spend my time looking at it. Um, Salivating. Yeah, drooling over my iPod screen in the dark. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I want to back up just a bit. Because I want to hear the story of how you first became aware of Think Geek and then eventually got the job. It's a funny story. Um, Think Geek was founded um, by my little sister and uh, a couple of friends of hers. You just blew my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, they used to work for, well, they had, they had lived together in college um, during the summer months, they would go and paint houses. They were the poor college students who would paint your house for a couple of hundred dollars. <laughs> and they really enjoyed working together. And they decided at that point, when we graduate from school, let's not get jobs. Let's, let's work together. Let's open a business together. So they looked around and tried to determine what kind of work was out there. Um, my, uh, my sister's boyfriend, Willie, um, he, he, he came over to the house one day and he saw me playing Doom on the computer. Mm -hmm. You know, the little, uh, little first-person shooter. And he said, yep. what is that? And I, I explained to him what Doom was. And I said, you know, here's the really cool thing. You can make your own maps in Doom. And I showed him how to do it. And uh, I had to go to work and I said, here, you know, you can play Doom on my computer all day long. You can make your own maps, go to town. By the time I had gotten home, he had made a dozen maps. He had figured it all out. Um, he had just uh, completely consumed his day with making these maps. And he eventually got so good at making these maps that he made award-winning maps using, you know, just because I've introduced him to it. Wow. So suddenly oh he gosh. became, having no access to computers, no knowledge of computers, became a genius at computers, <laughs> uh, like overnight. Um, and he called me a couple of months later and he said, you know, hey, hey, John, do you know anything about Linux? And I said, yeah, a little bit. Why? He said, what's the best Linux distribution? And I said, Slackware. Just no question. I just knew Slackware. Okay. All right. Why? Why do you want to know about Slackware? Well, I'm thinking about starting an internet service provider to compete with like AOL. Wow. Um, so he and my sister and, and their college roommates, they started an internet service provider called WizardNet. And um, <laughs> they ran WizardNet for a bunch of years. And uh, they realized that their support costs were increasing, their um, capacity was decreasing. They, they saw the writing on the wall. They said, we're going to stop making money in about a year. We're going to start losing money. So let's sell off the business and do something else. So they, uh, they started printing T-shirts to commemorate their anniversary 
you know, WizardNet customers' sixth anniversary or something like that. So they started printing these T-shirts, selling them for 20 bucks, and costing them like five to print these shirts. And they said, aha, this, <laughs> here's a business model I can get behind. $5 inventory cost, $20 retail. This is money. So they started printing T-shirts, and they, they spun off um, this T-shirt printing with snarky, nerdy sayings on them. And they said, well, what, what should we call it? What should we call our new company? And they called me. I was living in Texas. My sister called me. She says, you know, we're working on a couple of different names. Uh, what do you think of Think Geek? And I said, that's the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Think Geek, that, it just sounds like that uh, it just sounds like that old movie, uh, uh, um, Oh God, you know, the whole Think God line. That's immediately where I went. I said, no, that's, that's just... Uh, that's that's terrible. No one's going to like that. Uh, well, that's kind of where we're going to go with. Well, you know, it's your business. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And um, and I was just blown away by how successful they were getting. They were getting all of this attention from uh, from the media and from think uh, from uh, nerd uh, uh, corners. And I thought, wow, this is great. I'm so proud of my little sister for do for doing this. I was writing software for a living, and um, uh, I was beginning to notice that uh, all of the software business was offshoring everything. They were they were sending their business their uh, their work out to India overseas work, yeah. and you could either be a god at writing software, or you can be a manager, or you can uh, or you could manage the offshore development. And I didn't want to do any of that anymore. So I called yeah. my sister and I said, you know, hey, I'm thinking about moving back home. Are there any jobs opening at ThinkGeek? You know, I'll even take less pay. I don't care. So she said, actually, yeah, we're, we're, we need to hire a new merchant. You'd be perfect. Uh, you would just, your job would be to find cool stuff to sell, uh, bring it in, write copy, take photographs and put it on the website. Could you do that? Hell yeah, I could do that. So, uh, moved back and I've been actually my seventh anniversary was, uh, was three days ago. Congratulations. So I've been doing this for seven years now. Wow. That amazes me. Oh, that's fantastic. And Sorry for the long rambling story, but it oh, all Oh, no. That was a, that's that's just amazing to me. I think a lot of people have a lot of anxiety when they when they take on a big project. They have a lot of anxiety. Uh they don't start their project because they think about this mountain of work that they have to do to to get it going. Yeah. And it, it's so hard to take that first step. And for some reason my sister and and her friends, they didn't even think about it, just took that next step and the next step and the next step and built this thing. It's amazing. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've come up with, because you've developed some of the products there. I have. So we have a, uh, an internal team at ThinkGeek called Geek Labs, and their entire <laughs> job is to come up with crazy ideas and try to make them work. It was originally one of those things where we would try to find what we wanted um, that someone else was making. And eventually we discovered that if, if no one else was making this thing, well, we had better damn well do it ourselves because it will never be exactly right. We'll be making yeah. compromises. We started building our own thing that started with uh, telephones. So we used to make this old backlight style uh, handset that had no cord. So it was all Bluetooth inside. So you'd be walking down the street with this giant handset crooked <laughs> in, your, in your shoulder uh, it was Bluetooth enabled and it worked. It was a great conversation starter and actually worked well. Uh, that was, I think, one of our first custom products. Um, but we've grown now. We've got, 
gosh, I, I couldn't even begin to, to guesstimate how many products we've, we've created over the years now. But um, my most successful product that I designed was our bag of holding, which is a Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons reference. Um, big canvas bag, voluminous, tons of pockets, carries way more than you think it does. Um, <laughs> and that's, been, that's just been gangbusters. That's one of our top products. Oh. One of my friends at school has that. Does he like it? He does. He's used it for way too long, so it's falling apart and covered in penguin duct tape. Um, <laughs> but he's refusing to give you that. So. And you can tell him that you know the guy. I know the guy. You know the guy know who guy. designed it. I, I like to think that I am, I am the target market for, for what I buy for. I, I know mm -hmm. there are people out there who want stuff for its own sake, not for its utility, not for its style or function, but because they have to have it. You know. So I, uh, I, I do a lot of buying. Uh, with that in mind, with the, with the idea that someone just has to have something. So because I'm fancy, I pulled up ThinkEek on my tiny device here and ended up just distracting myself from the podcast, but <laughs> officially licensed Star Trek pajama set. Whoa. Is that I new? That. Yeah, that's, that's new. We, we just launched that last month. Actually, I, I had a hand in designing those too. Cool. Although that is not a ThinkEek manufactured product. The guys mm -hmm. who make those... Uh, also make our Star Trek towels oh, and yeah. our Star Trek <laughs> bathrobes. Cool. And he came to me and he said, you know, is there anything else Star Trek that we could make for you? And I said, pajamas. And they have to be original series. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Uh, yeah, I know. It just it just <laughs> works. It just looks right. I'm going to need to get a pair of those, especially after I move into the basement with a wall of Gigatude. Like, how can I not wear officially licensed Star Trek pajamas? And to explain more clearly for our listeners who may not know the reference, the Wall of Geekitude refers to the, uh, like, 75 feet of shelving I installed in our basement to hold the majority, the the majority of my Star Trek collection, books, Which my CDs, bed will be facing DVDs. once I move it down there, so, like... She'll be worshipping at the Wall yeah. of Geekitude every day. That's hilarious. When she's not uh, wet vacing the flooded uh, basement floor. <laughs> Knowingly moving into a flood zone. The uh, perks of the flood zone are <laughs> worth it. Yes. It's also a room that's wired with cable TV, so... Uh... Yeah. TV, <laughs> half bathroom, fridge, like, right outside. There's a fridge in our basement in the room next to it, like, we'll the never wall of geekitude. We'll never see you again. You'll I never see the light the of day. Yeah. There's no need. Just be living underground, getting pale. Like a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of geeky collections, I understand that you have a massive comic book collection. Well, I don't know about massive. Um, <laughs> I, a few years ago, I decided that I was going to catalog every, every book I had. And at face value, the comics that I have would buy me a small Eastern European car. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that's massive or not. It's a sliding scale, I suppose. But the problem is, is that I started collecting <clears throat> in the late 80s, early 90s, at the same time that everybody else was collecting. So I have mm -hmm. first editions of lots of uh, image comics and new issues of a new series from Marvel and you know the death of Superman, that whole, that whole period yeah. when everyone was collecting. And there's so many copies of each of those issues that my spawn number one that I thought, oh, this is going to be so valuable one day is worth like maybe $5. You know, it's, it's not yeah. really valuable at all. There are, I do have a few 
comics that are that have some value to them, like uh, uh, my Amazing Spider-Man number three hundred is possibly my most valuable comic, and it's worth about eighty um, mm. in mint condition. It's maybe in fine condition, not mint, but um, yeah, it's it's it takes up a lot of space. So perhaps that's how you could define massive. Do you watch or did you watch all of the Star Trek series? Every bloody episode, yes. I just finished Voyager. I'm upset. Uh, what's the problem? How can I help? <laughs> it was just a weird ending, and I didn't like Seven and Chakotay at all, to the point I'd be sitting there watching the episode just, like, squirming around, like, unable to take it, because it just felt so forced and uncomfortable to me. And then there was only one episode of Q2 in it, and I was like, this, there needs to be more. <laughs> and... I am sad because they could have done so much more with the characters and things could have happened. And I'm Dear just... child, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> season seven of Voyager was not without its missteps, definitely. The, the seven Chakotay relationship was forced. Robert Beltran was, was vocal in how much he really disliked how much his, his character was developing. He needed some something interesting going on. I think that he liked the idea of building a romantic relationship with Janeway, but knowing that wasn't going anywhere, he just wanted something, anything. Um, I'm extrapolating from what I've heard from him that he was, he was, he was just, he was tired of the show. He had already checked out. He just, he just wanted something interesting to do. And the writers tried to give him something. And uh, yeah, I, I feel the same way as you. I think that the seven Chakotay relationship was forced. Um, and that, the ending, that last episode was, there's so much in the margins that was missing. Um, I was so disappointed, uh, trying to understand what they were, what they were going with it. Um, did they, or did they not kill off the Borg once and for all? Were they inside the sphere that was not really established? There's so much of Voyager was great. I mean, some of the best Star Trek in, in all series year of hell was brilliant. Um, uh, it, it, the actual the introduction of Seven of Nine in the character was was critically important to to bring up the pace I think of the show. Uh, a lot of people kind of uh, kind of uh, dismissed her as being just uh, uh, eye candy for the for the nerds out there, yeah. but really added a lot to the well, series. Well, the uniform is kind of like <laughs> yeah. But what Jerry did with it, what Jerry yes. Ryan, I mean, yes. she's a stunning actor. She's amazing and. Oh my god. And then when they found all the Borg children, I was so excited. But then there was kind of some Icheb, but then like nothing. And I did like the scene where they actually like arrive at Earth and it's just sort of quiet because there's a whole bunch of really fast action and then they're just boom there. Um, I liked the part of that scene where Janeway was just kind of talking to the Admiral, kind of like, well, hi. <laughs> like it was it was so, quiet and unusual for them to be home all of a sudden and so we're here yeah <laughs> okay i like that they got home it really needed a denouement it really needed them yeah sitting around a table playing poker there, there needed to be something to to tie it up to put a nice bow on it and just impulse towards earth in a in a in a fleet formation just wasn't it for me i agree i i just wasn't a fan of the ending i hate the implication that seven and chakotay get married it was heavily implied, and I hate it. Well, okay, so uh, a gift for you <laughs> is a stack of books by Kirsten Beyer that you must read. So 
outside of your disappointment with how they wrapped up the series, what's your overall? Of course, I loved it. It's Star Trek. I love the Doctor, and I love Seven and Echev and everybody. I just like. I think they should have more. spun off a sitcom where the Doctor lived with Seven and hijinks ensued. Oh! <laughs> I've always loved uh, Have you ever seen uh, Marina and uh, Freaks uh, at cons where they no. discuss their, their spinoff, The Rikers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I so want to see that show. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, that would, be, that would be hilarious. You're, like, breaking my heart even more. I'm just like... <laughs> but they had such a... And and we talked about this too while while you oh, were watching yeah. the and show. Oh yeah, and then the doctor like they had developed. You know, oh, the, the doctor God. had such obvious feelings for Seven, and then that just kind of evaporated. And then there was the the Chakotay thing. And yeah, it's like because it's like after he was like, "I love you, Seven, When he thought he was gonna like his program was gonna like die. Um, there was like one like two second thing where she said something about going somewhere with Chakotay, and then she left, and he like did this sad thing like towards the door, and that was all. Then there was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I almost I'm on like I'm on the last episode of the first season of TOS, and then but then the, yesterday uh, Next Gen was on uh, BBC. So I was watching it, and I was like, I want to watch Next Gen, but then I wanted to watch TOS, and I just ended up kind of sitting there not being able to decide. <laughs> I think it would be acceptable to watch both shows concurrently and not necessarily yeah. just binge on My one problem show is, is that, through. like, after watching Voyage and moving straight to TOS, I don't get confused between the characters. I get confused with the technology. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, why don't you just go to the holodeck? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Frage, do you have a favorite series i personally like uh the uh, deep space nine as a series as a, as a, a total series yeah i mean there are individual episodes of next gen that i probably like more mm-hmm. uh in general compared to ds9 but um i think the uh i think the whole story arc with the dominion and how they kept that continuity going year over year or episode over yeah. episode season over season was fabulous, and I think that's what Star Trek desperately needed. And it's, uh, it's so unfortunate that it's so maligned, because I think it really was uh, just beautifully done, beautifully done. The character arcs, the um, uh, just how apocalyptic it got at times. <laughs> it's remarkably cohesive. When you go back and watch it now, it's like I almost like it more than I did originally. But yeah, a lot of people don't like that serial nature. And so I think they, when they went into Voyager, then they made a conscious decision to sort of eliminate that to a certain extent. Even though the setup for Voyager lends itself to being more of a serial because you've got this idea that they're heading home. You've got this very definite arc there. Yeah. But then you end up having all these little, like, individual, you know, Alien of the Week kind of things and without a lot of continuity. So that was, uh, it's it seemed, it often felt like they never got a handle on what they wanted to do in Voyager. Yeah. And, and some of the characters, like, they never got a handle on, you know, what are we going to do with Kim? Is he going to be never. the, is he going to be the Benson naive? Forever. Yeah, the naive Radar O'Reilly oh, forever. God. Or are we going to let him grow? How awful is it for Harry that he got to watch his best friend get demoted to his level 
and then promoted back. <laughs> yeah. back he must feel like a oh giant jerk in the Delta Quadrant. I forgot about that. You know, they never figured out what they wanted to do with Kess, and so her character just yeah, went just to a like, weird place. Yeah, just left, and then came back for one episode where she destroyed everything, and then like, so left again. That was so badass. I'm sorry. <laughs> watching, watching Kess walk through the corridor. Yeah, with that was, that was a pretty her. great shot where so she good. was just blowing things up with her mind. That was great. Yeah, the handling of Neelix and Kess just mm. kind of, it's like, I can't remember if it was at the beginning of a, of a new season or what, but at some point there was just like, you found out that they were broken up. It never happened in an episode. Was, I thought, I was so confused. I thought I had skipped one. I was like, wait. Yeah. Something is not right. It's like, how do you not have that on screen and show oh the development? Because imagine, oh, I just, I, Neelix. <laughs> You know, it honestly, it felt a lot like relationships in high school in which you had to see this person every single day and try to act normal, not only for your own sanity, but so that everyone else still thinks you're cool. Yeah. You know, you just, you just got to be cool. Even though you feel like a wreck, you just got to pretend like everything's normal. You know, uh, I know that the writers probably misstepped, did, did that by accident. It wasn't their intention to sort yeah. of, hey, let, let's make it like high school. Right. Remember that? Um, I have to, like, take a moment, because that was so perfect. <laughs> I, like, can't handle it. You're loving that analogy. <laughs> it was, As it a was, person who's in high school perfect. right now. Yes. <laughs> so it took me roughly two and a half months to finish DS9, and it took me six-ish to finish Voyager. So, I mean, like, obviously they're both really good, because Star Trek. <laughs> well, the serial nature made you want to watch the next episode. Yeah, but uh, DS9 was so much more, like, compelling, and I would just sit inside my friends and be like, hey, you want to come hang out? I'd kind of be like, okay, I guess. <laughs> like, I guess I could stop watching DS9 and playing Sims 2 for a while to come see you. But conversely, <laughs> were they like, uh, hey, you know, do you want to hang out while I'm watching Deep Space Nine? you want to come? Uh, I'll just see you tomorrow. Oh my god. All of my friends are just kind of like, I'll I'll make a joke and they just all kind of look at me like, that was a reference to Star Trek, wasn't it? And I'm just like, (laughs) maybe. Did you just make a rules of acquisition joke? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I probably did that before and my friends just looked at me like. You're trying to convert them, but it's not being very successful. It's not working. But that's okay. I'm making all of them go see Star Trek Into Darkness, so, you know, that's kind of maybe not really working. Uh, I thought they, they enjoyed it, most of your they, friends. They, but they don't, they, they just, because then they, they I'm, like it as I'm a standing movie. there like, and they're just like, yeah, that was cool. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they don't have the emotional connection to the franchise, to the whole giant thing that you do, so... They're just kind well, of plus at, at this it. point, they're, um, I'm like, we should go see Into Darkness. We can do that. There's a movie theater there. And they're like, Ellie, you've seen it three times. You don't need to see it again. I'm just like, that's what you think. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is in that movie. Well, Scott, you know how much I, I enjoyed uh, Into Darkness. Yeah. Um, I had to make sure I got the air quotes in there. Yeah. Enjoyed Into Darkness. <laughs> um, I still saw it three times. I will say I enjoyed it a heck of a lot more the second time around because uh, of all the problems I had with uh, with the continuity and with the the big bad in the show, mm-hmm. uh, 
those sins were already committed. So when I saw it the second time around, I was able to say, yes, okay, yes, I know this is happening. Let's just let's just breeze past people inside a photon torpedo. Let's just breeze <laughs> on past that. Yeah. Um, and enjoyed it for what it was. And and I, I enjoyed the acting. I enjoyed the sets. The CG was fantastic. Yep. Uh, Peter Weller. Who doesn't like Peter Weller? The space jump. Oh, yeah, like, that was great. Yeah. It was it was shocking. I'm sure I will enjoy it more the second time as well because then yeah. Have you you've only seen it once? I've only seen it the once. Okay. I ha- I had no compulsion to rush I'm, back. I'm I'm waiting it until time. it's at the Riverview so I can go see it like five times and it only cost me like ten dollars <laughs> overall. Did yeah, you read uh, Alan Foster's tie-in? I haven't read it yet. I've he, got. He, it, he admirably tries to fix a lot of the continuity problems. It's it's actually kind of amusing to read. It'll be interesting to see. I'm gonna I'm trying to get ahead on some of my review books that I'm reading, so that I have a little bit of more free time to do a big Star Trek binge because I have like five or six uh, books now that I'm behind. I haven't read uh, well, Bill's like, new book yeah, or Greg's really new wanna, book. Yeah, I really I'm halfway through Voyager Bill's now. book. I need to finish that, and I need to finish Greg's book before before con season. Yeah. <laughs> Before I see them, and they're like, "So how do how was it?" Uh, <laughs> this is how that's how I became a bit of a mystery reader, way back in the day, like twenty years ago now, when I worked at Barnes and Noble. There are a lot of uh, mystery writers here in the Twin Cities, mm. and so they were often coming into the store to do signings and stuff, and I was getting increasingly embarrassed by having not read a single one of their books. But it was funny, one of the writers, uh, M.D. Lake, when I told him one time when he came in, it's like, okay, I've read all the books. Finally, I've read all your books. He just kind of looked at me and shook his head. And <laughs> that was really... Why? A, <laughs> yeah, why? That was really above and beyond the call of duty. <laughs> <laughs> M.D. Lake was the best salesman. He, he had no shame <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> he would just like go into the mystery section <laughs> And see if there was someone in there looking at books. And he was like, oh, you're looking for a book? How about this? And he'd you know, <laughs> hand one of his books uh, to the person. Oh, my and, God. And, but he made it work. He was, he, he was funny about it. And uh, he was just a great guy. Oh, I can't stop thinking. Like, what if I was in Barnes & Noble, like in the teen section, and John Green just walked over like, looking for a book? How about the Fault in Our Stars? And I'd be like... Blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I think she's having a stroke. Yeah, probably exactly what would happen. That is, well, that's that, that's like what happened when you met Lavar Burton at the shore leave last year. I gave Lavar Burton a very strange look because I was staying there like, nah, nah, and then he kind of did like a double take at me doing this weird fangirl face, and I like snapped <laughs> out of it and was like, hi, yeah, okay. Oh it, no! It never ends. It never ends. When I met um, uh, when I met uh, Q at at Shore Leave, I yeah. kind of had the same reaction. He just kind of looked at me and was like, "Okay, that's that's nice." <laughs> he did the funniest thing. That was one of the years that we were doing the uh, the roast. Yes, and I had some. I can't remember. I, I love this story. I had some. This sort is of, one of my favorite stories. I had some sort of bit part in in one of the roasts, and so I was in the room. We were making plans before the roast started, and John Delancey had was doing a you know a signing or of 
photo op or something, but he was, so he, he cut through the big room to get to where he was going. And as he came through the room, I mean, it's a big room. There's plenty of room for him to walk around. But instead of walking around, there were like a half dozen of us standing in a little circle talking, and he walked right through the center of us. <laughs> and he came walking up, and he happened to be facing me when he came up. He came right, you know, it's like all of a sudden I realized that there's Q standing like a foot away from me. Which is up. what, what, what <laughs> yeah. all, all of a sudden there's Q. Yeah. Like, And he just sort of leans into me and says, excuse me in that you know <laughs> mellifluous voice that he has yeah so we just kind of parted and q walked through us <laughs> and went to wherever he was going <laughs> john delancey didn't q walked through yeah it was uh it was oh. great but yeah i went up to meet lavar because um my short story in uh, the sky's the limit the uh, next trek 20th anniversary anthology the main character was LaForge. And so I gave uh, an autographed copy to LeVar Burton and I was explaining to him, you know, I'm Scott Pearson and here's my story and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time I'm chatting with him, she was standing next to me, <laughs> fangirling. <laughs> and, you know, then I finally said, and this is my daughter. And he said hello, and then she kind of... Yeah, like, and then I was like, when you were like, and this is, I was like, yeah, oh, hi. Uh. <laughs> Dude, you know what? Okay, so um, that convention was before I started watching Voyager, right? And I was planning on watching a couple episodes before I went because um, the woman who played Janeway was going to be there. And but we were we were sitting at the the uh, table for the big Star Trek book that really narrows things down. And so the place where she was going to be like doing her panel or whatever was she would have to walk past us. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just say, like, Captain on the Bridge or something funny as she walks past. <laughs> and then I'll be like, yeah, even if I, like, I'll start watching Voyager later, and I'll be like, yeah, I had a cool little, like, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure they have secret corridors in the walls at Shoreleaf. <laughs> yes, Because we never saw her. Yeah. And, and, then I, and then I started watching Voyager, and now I'm just like, there was such get a me. It was such a crowd, too. You know, it was so packed there. That I was watching. Even though we were right next door. Eagle eyes. Never got a glimpse of her. Well, speaking of the roasts, uh, I got I got involved in one of the roasts one year when uh, uh, Dayton and uh, Kevin did their uh, Captain Pike shirt bit. Yeah. Oh, man. So I, uh, Kevin emailed me asking, hey, could you guys make us a Captain Pike shirt so it would have a light on it and I could have a little button that I could press and have it beep and go off or yes, no. And I said, I, yes, I can make this happen. So I <laughs> called one of my engineers and we built it. Um, it took us a, took us a, a couple of weeks to build it and, and we pulled it together and hours before the, uh, the roast, I, I ran up to Kevin with the shirt and, cause they had the whole bit planned out. And if the shirt didn't work, they had to do a different bit. Yeah. So they were in a panic and I got to go into those uh, sort of side corridors to see what it was like back there, and it's 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 kind of like uh, it's kind of like a weird underground area. It's it's <laughs> you know you're used to the the ugly carpet and the brick walls of Shoreley. Called <laughs> and it, go, yeah, and I called it the shirt. Yes. The, the that that thing was fabulous and hilarious. And have you seen? There is a picture of it in, in the back of the book. Yes, in Bob I Greenberger's saw it. book. Yeah, I love it's, that book. That was one of the first things when I started working on that book 
I was like, I'm going to have a picture of that. I was absolutely tickled <laughs> to have, have that, that in the back of that book. I loved it. I loved it. Like 90% of the photos in that book are of my collection. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so I had to, I packed up. It was glorious. All my stuff and, and brought it into the photo studio and worked in there with the photographer to take the photos and uh, setting up the action figures and, you know, making sure that I would set up the data action figure and then give him just the perfect tilt of the head, the data mm-hmm. tilt before, you know, so he was ready for his close up when she took the photos. It was so much fun. That to me is what it must be like to work for Think Geek because here I was, I was just playing with toys all day long and it was my job. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's fun having all those toys around. Serious work does get done, surprisingly. Oh, we yeah. have tours of the office from time to time, and people just are marveled at the the decorations around everybody's offices and all the toys on everybody's desks. Yeah, and and just their eyes bug out, their jaws drop, and <laughs> to us, it's just another another work day. I'm I'm working on a <laughs> yeah. spreadsheet. It's yeah. it's not fun right now what I'm doing, but you know, please enjoy my surroundings. <laughs> it's it's nice. Yep. So I was flipping through your book uh, about a week ago, and um, and it made me, it, I had a sudden rush of memory that when I was about six or seven, I had one of the Mego bridge sets with a transporter pad oh, yeah. that you had to spin to get to, to get your, your, your eight inch figurine to disappear and reappear. Yeah. And somehow I never had one of those. I don't know how I never had one of those. I've always been tempted to buy cause now they have, they've, they've made them again. They've remade them. Yeah. And, uh, but I just haven't gotten around to buying one. And I was so excited because, like, we were sitting, we were sitting, I was sitting with you at the table, and you were like, I'm going to go, like, you went to go, like, talk to someone or something, can you sit oh, yeah. here for a couple I, by yourself? And I was like, yeah, I can! So, yeah. This... And I was, like, ready to, like, I was waiting for people to come up there, like, I'm ready to sell the book, I'm going to get somebody to yeah. pre-order the, the, it. Yeah, this, this was before the book came out, but we had just printed out some spreads from the yeah. book so that we could... I remember uh, that. Yeah, and so Bob and I would hang out there or take turns hanging out there and so when because people would see it and come up and look because everything looks so fantastic um and so when when you were sitting at the table people would come up and like kind of like talk to you and like look at stuff and when i was sitting there by my, i think people are afraid of teenagers because <laughs> i've been saying that and people kind of wander up and get close enough to look at it but then not close enough so they'd have to commit to, like, talking to me or, like, doing anything. <laughs> and then just kind of wander away like they were doing, like, a pass-by. And I was like, I'm nice. <laughs> I can, I'm a, I, I'm not a normal teenager. <laughs> and then I was, like, ready. I was like, somebody talk to me. <laughs> well, you I was, have like, to getting st- ready. You also have to start just talking to the people if they don't talk themselves which is it's hard for me to do but you have to wait you you you, they're they're geeks you have to wait for them to come to you yeah you can't just that'd be too scary you can't chase them away very easily yeah yeah they're they're like deer (laughs) (laughs) well we've been talking about toys all this time do you ever just go to cons ella and uh and uh, do you buy your own toys or you tell scott you know dad i want that i want that i want that (laughs) you have Um, your own collection you're building well, with the, like, we have so many action figures and stuff in the basement that, uh, I don't know, I remember one time, my first shore leave, um... She's getting them all in the end anyway, so... <laughs> right. Um, we, um, I had been working on this costume forever. I had, uh, like, 
a couple Halloweens beforehand or like something, um, I wanted to be a science officer on the the original Enterprise. Like that was that was what, and I was not gonna change it. So we spent like months trying to find a shirt that was perfect, like the right color with the black collar. And mm-hmm. we finally found like a pajama shirt that we had to turn inside out. And um, it had some sort of logo on. Yeah, the... it was like a car or something. And uh, <laughs> but it was right amazingly. It was perfect. It was the perfect color and the collar. It had a black collar um, and everything. And uh, you had like uh, rank things to put on my sleeve. I made. The and rank I remember things. because you were like asking me like, "What rank do you want to be?" And I was kind of like, "Whatever rank Spock is." I was like, I want to be Spock. Yep, I went out to a... Uh, great dash braid. I'd gone out to some craft store and found the great gold little, you know, wavy Braids. things. And uh, and I got black pants and I was wearing, like, uh, these boots that my mom had. And it was, like, perfect. And I was wearing... Because uh, my dad had, like, uh, like a tricorder and stuff. So I was wearing that. And uh, I had the communicator, like, Velcroed to my pants or something. Yep. Um... <laughs> And we were in a, so of course I had to wear that to shore leave, of course. Naturally. Um, <laughs> so we were walking, and I remember uh, we were walking past this booth, and we were kind of like slowing down, looking at stuff. And this guy, whose uh, whose booth it was, just looks at me and goes, "You know, I have a phaser that matches your outfit." And I was kind of like, <laughs> and it was so like like thinking back on it now, it's like normally people would be like. Um, trying to sell things to like a seven-year-old girl you know i have some like a like a pink necklace that really matches your pants oh no i have a phaser that really matches your original series uniform and i was like oh man that was one of the farragut guys i think one of the guys that makes the fan oh yeah yeah. and then i kept i kept talking about yeah that was awesome um but then we look at this phaser and it's like perfect so i think i i think i like I think I paid for half of it, um, and you paid for half of it, and then we got it. Is yeah, what was the that, deal yeah, was, that and might be that it. was super awesome. Whenever we go to the source, our local comic book store, um, I always look at all the stuff like, oh man, but all the stuff I want at this point that we don't have is like super expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the moment, all I really want is a JJ Trek phaser that does the flip thing between mm. stun and kill. I want yeah. that. Yeah, my friend Andy makes those. Why do you know all the people? <laughs> it's my job. Actually, for, for a while, it was my job to to know the guys who make this stuff. Uh, they'd come to me and they'd say, John, I'm thinking about making this. What do you think? Uh, in fact, uh, Quantum Mechanics is the name of the company that makes it. They also make a TNG communicator pin. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he made it, he, he was thinking, okay, John, I'm going to make a communicator pin. We're going to actually take one of the original set pieces. I think one of Riker's set pieces and cast it and mold a new pin out of out of metal it'll be super high quality like better than studio quality piece and i said awesome uh he showed me a um we went on facetime and he was like showing the the communicator in front of the camera and it had the uh push pins in the back and i said okay that's got to go what the pins they have to go well they were they were pins in the show like nope they got to be magnetic or it's not worth doing because there have been so many of those cheap costume jewelry gold communicator pins that are just pushed in and and no one who is wearing a costume is going to want to put holes in their costume uh magnetic clasp we'll just put a magnet on the back and a piece of steel on the on the pin it'll be awesome and it'll just pop on and off it'll be brilliant everyone will love it and he did it and um 
So I, I, I enjoy the fact that I get to contribute a little bit to the manufacturing process. And the, the phaser, he had made the phaser for the 2009 JJ yeah. uh, movie, and the uh, emitter didn't spin. It was a solid piece of resin. And I said, oh, man, it would be great if it could spin. You know, it'd be really great if it could spin. It's like, yeah, I know. It would have cost a lot more, and we just couldn't get it in time, and we had to sign the contract, and so we, it didn't spin. And this time, he made it spin. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really cool to, even if I don't make it to have some yeah. contribution in the manufacture of it. Oh, uh, he also makes, um, uh, Christopher Pike's, um, Starfleet ring, Starfleet class ring. Oh man. That of course became a big prop piece in the new movie. He was, yeah. he was making it. He was showing it to me on, again on camera. He's out in LA. I'm in DC. Yeah. So he was showing me the piece and he said, this is, uh, I can't tell you why. But this is going to be very important in the next Trek, in the next Trek movie. And I said, uh, "Okay, uh, great. Uh, yes, I want one." <laughs> so I actually uh, he he sent me one. He sent me one of the first prototype pieces. Um, cool. Which I yeah I covet. I keep in a box and yeah. will never <laughs> will never let it out. <laughs> now, actually, I have a question for you. Do are you the kind of are you the kind of geek who? Um, buys the toys and takes them out of the package and plays with them or do you leave them in the package and put them on the shelf out of the package all the way yes that's the right answer that's the right answer <laughs> what do you do if right. you leave Just... them in the package like sheldon and the guys they don't but they don't look awesome <laughs> they just look like you're waiting to give a gift to someone or something weird <laughs> yep like I kind of, on some level, I kind of get it, but it's like, why wouldn't, why don't yep, you want to like, like I remember when like we got that, uh, um, I got like a data figure with Spot and a violin, yep. and I was so excited, and so we took him out and like put him on the shelf and like have Spot like curled up sleeping next to him and holding the violin, and it's like, how do you not want to do that? I have one cool collectible where I kept the box. I have the original Alien. Mm. When that came out in 1979, and they issued like this 18-inch tall alien, you know, you press a little button on the back of its head, and it's the secondary jaws come out of the mouth. It's really gruesome, and it was kind of marketed like as a toy. And it's <laughs> like here's this gruesome monster from an R-rated movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and uh, I got one of those. I think I actually got it as a Christmas present, which shows that my mom, although not a geek, was uh, happy to indulge my uh, twisted sensibilities. She just she just likes making people happy. Yeah. And she just likes to buy things for people. It came out of the box to play with immediately, but I still have the box. Well, so you if kept I ever the wanted to sell for, that, um, I could put the thing in the box. and The thing with the white fur and the horns. The Mugato. Mugato. Yeah. Yeah, that I kept in the box because... White fur. It's white, mm. and it's like the thing is in the basement. It's just going to turn gray from dust, and you know, so that I keep in the box. But everything else comes out. Man, I'm gonna have to buy one of those phasers now. We should probably wrap it up here. This was uh, fabulous. It was so great uh, chatting with you yeah. and hearing these inside stories. Um, um, what's the company that makes the phasers again? Uh, quantum mechanics qmxonline.com okay. give them a little little prop because sometimes they have stuff that we don't have uh, so if you don't find it with us I certainly wouldn't mind if you went to qmx to buy it <laughs> great talking with you Frage. oh yeah I really enjoyed this anytime you want to do this again just let me know we will 
that's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 11, Sinbad and the Eye of the Geek, which was postponed due to the release of Star Trek Into Darkness. Now that Kirk and Spock have saved the Federation again, we'll be reviewing all three classic Ray Harryhausen Sinbad movies, because stop motion still rules. Please submit your comments about Ray Harryhausen's Sinbad movies on our Facebook page or email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com and we'll respond during the show. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a 1964 VW bus with a giant satellite dish on the roof. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Danny.